Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, um, we're going to start something uh, new today. Since today's the first day, that's the only option. Um, so if you have your Bible, go to 2 Samuel chapter 4. And then I'd also like you to find Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in both of those places. If you don't have a Bible or if you don't own a Bible, there's some back there on the back table back there. Uh, you can either borrow that or um, you can keep that. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Um, and so you can, you can find that and help yourself to that. Um, so let me, well, let me open my Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 4. So today's our first day. Um, we're going to be about a lot of things um, in this church. Um, we're going to do a lot of things. We're going to try a lot of things. Um, we're going to get some things right. Let me say this off the bat, by the way. And we're going to get some things wrong. We really are, okay? Um, there are some things that we can afford to get wrong. We really can, okay? Um, if When I die, if I stand before the Lord and Jesus says, Russell, you really should have worn a tie when you preached. I'm going to say... I'm terribly sorry, right? I, I, we can get that wrong. Um, we're going to do communion. Um, we're going to do communion probably about every couple of months. Some churches do communion every single Sunday. Some churches do them every fifth Sunday, right? We don't know when we're, how often we're supposed to do communion, but we know we're supposed to do communion, okay? Uh, that's something we can get wrong, how often we do communion. Are you with me on that, right? Um, our style of music, we can get that wrong, Okay, we may get to heaven and Jesus is like, I'm really more of like an Abba fan. Like, give me that sound. That's what I was looking for. We can get that wrong. It's okay too, you know, um, because those things, they're, they're not absolutely um, essential. There's something we cannot get wrong, guys. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today we're starting straight out of the gate. This is something we cannot afford to get this wrong. Okay, and so right out of the gate, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus takes dead people and makes them alive. And, and I'm sorry if I'm about to hurt your feelings. Jesus doesn't take good people and make them better. He doesn't even take bad people and make them okay. The gospel of Jesus says that we were born dead, completely separated from the Lord, and we have to be reborn into Christ. That's the gospel, is that he takes people from death to life. If there's any other message, it's not the gospel. And I'm, I'm sorry if I, I don't mean to attack anyone personally, but if your salvation story is, hey, I was going through life and I realized I needed God in my life and so I started going to church, that's not the gospel. Attending church is not the gospel. At, uh, saying, hey, I realized that I needed uh, people of God in my life and I needed a good influence, so I started reading my Bible. Guys, that's not saving faith. And I love you enough to say that, right? That may hurt your feelings, but that's not saving faith. The gospel is I was absolutely dead, utterly dead, and Jesus Christ made me alive, okay? Uh, that's the gospel. And so I want to make sure that we understand that because Jesus, for, maybe it's for some of you in this room, it was for, I think it was for me for years and years and years, Jesus never really made sense to me 
because I didn't really understand man and I didn't really understand God. I didn't understand this separation between man and God. And what Jesus the Christ does is he fills that separation, right? And so uh, for my entire, well, for not my entire life, for a lot of my life, uh, I had this misunderstanding of who man was, what our state of being was. I think I probably thought we were bad people. I thought that there were degrees of badness, right? And we still play that game. Well, I'm not a, you know, I may be bad, but I'm not a blank, right? And, and at the same time, I thought God was just kind of okay. And so Jesus never really made sense to me. The good news of the gospel never made sense because I never understood the bad news, right? That's what the gospel means. It means good news. And so something you'll hear me say a lot is, Good news never really makes that much sense unless you first understand the bad news, right? So let me illustrate here. This is a stupid illustration, but I think it works. Imagine if you're sitting at home watching TV and there's a knock on your door and you open it up and it's the IRS and it's, they say, hey, I've, I've got some good news for you. And they say, we've reviewed your taxes from last year and um, you don't owe any extra money. That is kind of your response. When I said that, notice nobody went, yes! This is what everybody in the room did. You went like this. You went, oh, okay. So I'm, and they say, we just want you to know that you're, you're debt free. And you say, okay. And what do you do? You shut the door and you probably just go back to watching TV. Okay, so imagine a different scenario set up exactly the same way. You're watching TV. The doorbell rings, you open the door, and they, it's the IRS, and they say, we've got some uh, bad news for you. We've reviewed your taxes, and you owe us $60,000 from last year. And the, and the IRS doesn't joke around. They don't have a sense of humor. Trust me. Okay? Now, listen, guys. That's some bad news. Now, imagine your new neighbor who just moved in, Russell. I'll play this part. Imagine I walk up, and I say, hey... I've heard you owe $60,000. I want you to know that I've taken care of it and I've paid it off for you. Now, is that good news? Yeah. Now, notice, in both scenarios, you ended up with no debt. Did you see that? The ending was the same. What's the difference? Was the bad news, right? And so this is why it's so important that we understand the bad news of man and God before we really grasp the good news of the gospel, okay? Bad news or good news doesn't make complete sense until we understand the bad news. So today we're starting a series. We're going to be studying uh, not David. We're going to be studying the people surrounding David's life. You know, David in the Old Testament, we're going to be referring to him as the Lord's anointed a lot. Uh, David is a type of Christ in the Old Testament, um, even when we, when we say the word Christ, when we say Jesus Christ, the word Christ is uh, it's Messiah in Hebrew, and the word Messiah means anointed one. And so we're going to be asking the question, as we study these people surrounding David's life, what did this person do with God's anointed one, right? Because I'm telling you guys, that's the only question that really matters. That's all that matters at the end of our days all that's going to matter is we're going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to ask, what did you do with my anointed one, with Jesus the Christ? Okay? So if you've got your Bibles, look in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Today is going to be part one of part two. We're going to cover mostly bad news. Um, the past few days I've been thinking, this is the worst 
probably, well, no, it's not the worst. This is a tough subject to tackle um, as our first Sunday because it's going to be kind of bad news, <laughs> okay? So there's, it's, it's, it may not be the best message, but we've got to understand the bad news before we understand uh, the good news. So we'll see um, how this goes. Um, so 2 Samuel chapter 4, we're introducing a guy. His name is Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. If you want to impress your friends, just use that word a lot in conversation. Um, just don't use it too much or you won't have any friends to impress over time. Trust me on that one. Um, let me catch you up. Let me give you a quick overview. What has happened up to this point? We're in 2 Samuel. What takes place in 1 Samuel is you, you may know this if you grew up in church, is that Israel asks for a king. God says, I'm your king. And Israel says, we want a king. And most importantly, they said, we want a king like everybody else. And God says, okay, you want a king? And, and you remember we talked about this, uh, I think it was last week, that oftentimes the wrath of God is not lightning bolts from heaven. It's not financial crisis. It's often not cancer. Oftentimes the wrath of God is when we stomp our foot and say, I want this thing. And God says, that's that's going to destroy you. And we say, I don't care. I want it. I've got a three-year-old. Trust me, I know how this works. Right? And the wrath of God is when he looks at us and he says, is that what you really want? And we say, yes. And he does this. He goes, okay. He says, okay. You can have it. And this is what Israel does. They say, we want a king. And he says, I'm your king. And they say, we want a king. And he says, all right, give him a king, Samuel. And so they anoint this guy named Saul. You probably know this story. Saul doesn't work out. Uh, this is the uh, Cliff Notes version. And up next comes this guy named David. And David, when God looks at him, he says, that's a man after my heart. That's a man after my David didn't look the part. He wasn't impressive. But God said, that's the one. He's after my own heart. And so Samuel anoints David to become king. A lot of stuff happens. Uh, what ends up happening is Saul ends up dying in battle, and so now David has become king. Okay, So that's where we catch up here. Saul and his son Jonathan both die in battle. That's significant. Okay, And David is now king. So look in 2 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to, I think, just do one verse here. Now this is interesting. When I look at my Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4 Literally, it's in, it's in paragraphs. Is y'all's Bible have it in paragraphs too? We're, and, and so it's, we're, we get exactly one verse of an introduction of this guy, and then we don't hear from him for years and years and years. Okay, so we get one verse, and it's literally in, in paragraphs. It's, it's like the author of 2 Samuel saying, it's like a side note. He says, oh, by the way, here, let me tell you, let me introduce this one guy. Let me read it here. Uh, verse 4. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. So when it, when it says the news, that's talking about Saul and Jonathan being killed in battle. Okay, So this is a big deal. Don't, don't just read past that. Your king and his son have both been killed in battle battle. This makes national news. The country goes into chaos because your king and the next in line to be king, Jonathan, have both been killed. Okay, so do you see that scene? 
uh, it's chaos, right? Um, pick it up. Uh, when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, his nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, and then the parentheses end. Do y'all's parentheses end right there too? And so it's literally just an introduction to this guy. Now Mephibosheth, again, we're asking the question. Now remember, this is a real person. This really happened. But in all of this, we're asking the question, how, how does Mephibosheth deal with the Lord's anointed? And uh, we're going to spend two weeks on him, but this week we're going to see Mephibosheth is really the best illustration of the human condition. Okay, So I'm going to point out three things about him that we can get just from this uh, one verse, and I'm going to do it um, in order that they do it. So look at verse 4 again. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son. Okay, so stop right there. So at this time, you remember the house of, there was the house of Saul and there was the house of David. Some of the country loved Saul, some of the country loved David, and it said the house of David and the house of Saul were at war with one another. And at this time, the house of Saul was becoming weaker and weaker. The house of David was becoming greater and greater, okay? And so what you have here is that, notice, uh, in this context, Saul dies, Jonathan dies, and who's Jonathan's son? He's this guy named Mephibosheth, okay? And at that time, David becomes king. So when you look at King David and Mephibosheth, those guys are enemies, right? Why is that? If you've studied any history or if you even watch any movies, what happens when a new king comes to power? This is historically accurate, by the way. When a new king comes to power, what happens? If I take over and I dethrone this old king, what do I do? His head gets removed from his body. His sons, their heads get removed from their body. Um, what about this guy's nephews? Their heads get removed from their body. What about his grandkids, his brothers? What that was, that's how life was when a new king came to power. I would come along, if I was the new king, and I would kill every single person I could in that man's bloodline because he was my enemy, Right? So this is what I want to point out about Mephibosheth. And again, this is completely reflective of the human condition. Again, this is the bad news today, is that we're born an enemy of the king. We're born separated from the Lord. What did Mephibosheth do to be an enemy of the king? Nothing. Don't, don't miss that. It wasn't his actions. He, he wasn't a bad person. He was a little kid, by the way. What say did he have in being the enemy of the king? Nothing. It was his birth. It was the blood that ran through his veins that now he and the king were at odds with one another. Right? And so this makes me think, um, again, we're reflecting on this as the human condition even today, those that don't know the Lord. Um, I believe, and, and stay with me here because this sounds crazy at first. Every time I say this, I'm like, I sound like a crazy person. But then I explain it, and I'm like, well, I still sound like a crazy person, but maybe you'll, maybe you'll be crazy with me. Uh, but the Bible seems to teach this, too. Um, I believe in a thing called generational curses. Okay? Um, what I believe is that there are things in my family, there are things in my blood that runs through my veins that I am prone to. Right? Certain sin patterns, certain destructive behaviors. 
that the McLennan men, for generations, we have these certain things that we do, right? And I believe that's true of every single person in here. I think we're all born to be something. Notice the emphasis on the word born. We're all born to be something. Um, some of, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to throw my dad under the bus in front of everybody, um, but some of us uh, were born to be uh, drunks. Some of y'all sitting in this room right now, it's in your blood to be an alcoholic, right? Uh, some of y'all, us, sitting in this room right now, um, are born just to be liars. Some of us are born to be adulterers, like we really are, right? Uh, some of us are born to be completely self-absorbed. Man, pick your poison. Some of us are born to be completely materialistic. Some of us are born uh, to be manipulators. You come from a family of manipulators, right? And it's in your blood, and it's how you're raised, right? And it's, it's what we're born to do. Some of us are born to just be angry. Some of us are born to never be satisfied. Um, some of y'all are born to be passive, absolutely passive. One of the most, this is, side note, this is for free. One of the most wicked things I could think of is a father who's completely passive. I can't think of anything more wicked. But that, some of y'all, that's in your blood that maybe you were raised, and your dad, honestly, he didn't give a crap what happened. He just showed up, and you could even see it in his eyes. You could see that he just, he, he checked out, you know. And he was there physically, but he was not there emotionally or spiritually, and some of us that's in our blood is just to just check out and just to make the money and then to let the wife raise the kids, right? Um, so this is uh, real encouraging, I can see. That's what we're born to do, okay? I want to point out the second thing um, about Mephibosheth. Um, it says, verse 4, it says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet, okay? And then he goes on to describe how that happened. He says it was, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And again, remember we said, so that was chaos for the country. And it says right here, his nurse picked him up and what? What does it say? Fled. His nurse picked him up and fled. Why did she flee? Because the king and his son have just been killed. There's this new guy, David, and his nurse who this kid's five years old, and the chaos picks him up, and it's so chaotic at this moment that, that we don't know what happened. Somehow she ends up dropping him so violently that now he can't walk, right? And so what we see here is that this is the second thing we can learn about the human condition is that Mephibosheth was, listen to these words here, injured from a fall. Huh? Genesis chapter 2, are you following me on that? That, that there was this way that he was designed to be, but because of a fall, his life was fractured, and it wasn't the way it was supposed to be, right? Now, this news that the, I hope this isn't news to you, the world is broken, guys, right? The world is broken, okay? This is the result of the fall. We live in a broken world, and the thing is, is that we know it, I, I don't imagine anybody when I just said the world is broken, I'm glad nobody went, oh, what? I had no idea, right? Unless you live in a hole, okay? Uh, we know it and we're doing our best to fix it, okay? 
but we're doing our best to fix it using nothing but the created rather than the creator, okay? Much like Mephibosheth, notice his nurse picks him up when he's five. He, that lady's going to raise him, and he's going to be raised in the fear of the king, right? Um, he's going to spend his life running. And so we know that the world's broken, the world's trying to fix this. Uh, sometimes we look at medicine, you know, if we just had the right medicines, we can fix this problem. Uh, we'll look at education. If we can just raise awareness of the atrocities of the world, then that'll fix things, right? Um, have y'all seen um, the movie Hotel Rwanda? Have y'all seen that? There's a, I, I saw it one time years ago, and so I'm, I can't be very detailed in this. There's a moment in that movie where uh, this, these people are under attack, and they've been under attack by their own government, and these people from the United States come in, and the, the people from Rwanda, they say, we're so glad you're here. And they say, because when the United States hears about this, when the world hears about what's happening, people are going to come and save us. And this is a true story, by the way. And they say, we're so glad that you're here, because so now you can get the word out about what's happening, and then you, we, can, we can be safe. And, and this happens in the movie that the guy looks at him, he says, I'm going to be really honest with you. What's going to happen, our, our people are going to be eating dinner. On CNN, it's going to come up about a genocide in Rwanda. Everyone's going to go, what a shame. And they're going to go back to eating dinner. Right? Is that not the state of the world? That if, if, but we have this false idea. If we could just raise awareness, then we can fix what's broken. If we can just educate man, right? Uh, or we look at legislation. If we get the right guys in office. Guys, don't forget, this is not political. All I know about the president is I wouldn't want that guy's job. That's what I know. And just be careful, church. Don't ever look to a broken person to run a broken system that governs a broken nation that helps uh, to legislate broken people. It's not going to work, okay? The created is not designed to fix anything. The creator is the only one. Um, or we look at technology, if we can make enough food. Did you know that uh, in the past several years we've had enough food to feed everyone on earth? Did you know that? It's not an issue of, of not having enough food anymore. It's an issue of, um, oh, how's, hold on, how's the saying go? Should have written this down. The issue is not that we don't have enough food to feed the poor. The issue is that we don't have enough food to satisfy the rich. That one stings, man. Right? But we keep thinking if we just have enough, then we can fix everything. Or maybe you look at religion to fix the world. If we just do the right things for Jesus. Um, so uh, this is just a reminder that Mephibosheth walked with a limp. The world is walking with a limp. The world is broken, um, and it will let you down. And so let me get personal for a second. I don't, I'm not going to talk about myself a lot. Um, but I'll, right out of the gate, um, as far as this new church start goes, and, I, and please hear me. If you don't hear anything else, hear me say this, because this can be devastating to a church. I am not your Savior. You understand that, right? I, and, and I can't make a lot of promises, but here's one promise I can make. I will let you down. I will. Given enough time, Russell will let you down. I don't care what church you choose to go to. I don't care who the pastor is. I don't care anything. That guy is just a guy. And he will let you down 
over time. Give me enough time, I'll let you down. Now, I don't mean you're going to walk out and I'm like egging your house or slashing your tires, right? But what I mean is I'm, you know, there's going to be, I'm just a person. There's going to be times where I'm going to say something in jest and you may take it the wrong way. Maybe you send a text message and I forget to send a text message back. There may be a time where I'm frustrated and I say something out of frustration. I'm going to let you down. This church, these church people, they're going to let you down. Over time, give it enough time. I promise you, any church is just made up of people. And no church is perfect. If you think you found the perfect church, do not join it because you will ruin it. It's true. We're going to let each other down. And that's where there's this great idea called grace that comes in. And this great idea that I don't look to you to satisfy me. I don't look to the created, right? I don't look to my kids for my life. I don't look to my spouse. I don't look at my job. I don't look at my bank account. I don't even look at the church. I look at the head of the church, right? So... uh, The last thing I want to point out about Mephibosheth, and again, we're saying this is just describing the human condition. We said, number one, he was born an enemy of the king. It wasn't by his actions. Uh, We said, number two, he's injured from a fall, and he he walked with a limp from that point. Um, And number three, I want to point out, is he spent his life running from the king. He spent his life hiding. How do we know that? Well... You'll see here it says his nurse picked him up and fled. As she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. So what's going to happen here is we get one verse about this guy, and then he, he disappears off the scene for years. He's gone for years. Um, and he spends his life hiding and running from King David. Okay. Now this is interesting because King David, was a, he wasn't perfect, but he was a pretty good guy. But notice, he was raised in a household that was afraid of the king. In his world, in his tiny world, no matter how tiny it was, the message that he received over and over and over, or I should say the message that was delivered to him, was the king cannot be trusted. Do not listen to the king. We spend our time running from the king. We don't ever run to him. And and the message that he was told his whole life was the king is out to get you, right? And, and they, he probably was raised saying, hey, Mephibosheth, don't forget, you're the son of Jonathan, you're son of Saul, enemy of King David. And he received this message over and over. Maybe, maybe it was subtle, maybe it wasn't, we don't know, but we know that he spent his life running from King David, and that was the message over and over, is the king is out to get you. And when he gets you, you're going to be in trouble, Right? And man, if you want to describe the world, I can't describe it more than that, is that the world is frantically running from the king. Frantically trusting the created over the creator. Frantically trying every single thing they can to find satisfaction, fulfillment, anything at all. Grasping at straws, right? And it it's, happens over and over, and over, and over, and over, is that we think if we can get our hands on this thing, then this will fix our broken system, right? So here's an example on a tiny little scale that I think, I think we can all relate. Have you ever, 
And I want you to think back to when you were a kid, because when you were a kid, what we wanted was small and tangible. Think about when you were a kid. Was there ever a Christmas that you got everything you wanted? Think about it for a second. I mean, you made the list, and you thought, yes, and and the buildup was incredible, and it's just, there's the presents, and then you open your presents, and, and I mean it, that you got every single thing you asked for. Do you, do you remember the most depressing part of the Christmas season every year? It's Christmas morning, about 9.45 a.m., <laughs> right? It's, it's, right? Have you ever gotten everything you've wanted, and then you're sitting there holding your treasures, and immediately what happens? You kind of look at your stuff, and you, I mean, at that moment, you realize, eh, this is okay, right? I mean, that's, that's a small, stupid illustration, but it's so true even today, even as adults. Have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted? And this is the world, is that we frantically, frantically run from the Lord, run from the King, trying to collect our satisfaction in these other things. And then even when we get them, we're immediately moving on to the next one. You know, like even whenever, um, gosh, every every year, whether whether you're watching the NBA or NFL or whatever, the big the big thing when the championship when they win, it's funny that as soon as they're done winning, what do they start doing? Training for next season. Like it's it's so, it's over so fast, and then it's done and gone. Who won the NBA championship? Four years ago, five years ago. Who won the NCAA championship three years ago? We don't know and we don't care because we're just frantically moving on to the next thing. This is human nature. This describes our condition. So um, let me finish up here. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 2. So we, we've described, again, we just introduced Mephibosheth, and we said it's, it's very reflective of us, is that we're, we were born enemies of the king, we were born injured from a fall, and that we then spend our lives running from the king, chasing shiny things. And I'm, I'm just as guilty as all of us, right? Um, So look at Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, no, sorry. Start in verse 1. Start in verse chapter (laughs) 1. Chapter 1. Let's start in verse 18. This will just introduce. This is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Wonderful. Excellent sermon, Paul. Awesome. Awesome. Next verse. As for you, you were dead. Here's a question. Why does Paul put this here? He goes from this incredible thing about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the God. Of God. The church is the fullness of him. Immediately, he says, hey, as for you, you were, what does he say? Dead. Why does he remind them of this? And so, so, so this is the best illustration of, I've ever seen of this, is that when we come into saving faith, we have this understanding of man, and we have this understanding of God. And we have this understanding, there's a separation, right? Whether you understand that you're separated this much or this much, right? No matter where you understand there's a separation. And Jesus Christ is what fills that gap. Is that where we're in, Christ, 